Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. Psalm 68 says that God is a father of the fatherless. He's a defender of the widows. That's God, is God, excuse me, in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. And, and this really is a, a, a picture of kind of what I want to talk about tonight, and I really feel to continue uh, along the lines of what Pastor Ned uh, brought to us on Sunday, lost and found. I just want to talk for a little bit and continue on that story, um, and, and just especially tonight, zero in on the idea of a witness, being witnesses for God. Do you believe that you're a witness for Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about an evangelist. I'm not talking about a missionary. I'm not talking about a minister or anything. I'm talking about being a witness of God. And uh, a witness in the scriptures, the, uh, the Greek word there is martus, witnesses, martisan. That's where we get the, the word martyr. Right? In the, in the first church and in the early days, people were murdered for their witness. They were killed for witnessing to their faith in Jesus Christ. Just to, to kind of bear this out, in Isaiah 43, the Bible says, for, excuse me, 43.10, this is the new living, but you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You've been chosen to know me, to believe in me, and to understand that I alone am God. There is no other. There never has been. There never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there's no other Savior. First, I predicted your rescue. Then I saved you. In other words, God prophesied of Jesus coming to rescue us. First, I predicted it. I prophesied it. Then I saved you, and I proclaimed it to the world. There is no foreign God who has ever done this. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I'm God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I've done. Say that with me. Say, I'm a witness. Amen. And then in Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit coming to the earth, said this to his disciples. And, and I always think the context is important here because the, the disciples are expecting Jesus to establish a physical kingdom on the earth again. 
Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to rule? Let's go. Come on. Remember the days of David? Might, power, let's go. But what did Jesus say? He said to them, it's not for you to know times and seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. But here's, this is for you. This is for us tonight. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So notice, Jesus defines his people moving forward after his resurrection and ascension to the Father as witnesses. This is who you are. You're going to live on the earth as a witness to me. And I'm going to give you two things to do it. Aren't you glad he gave us two things to do it? We can do it ourselves. He said, I'm going to give you power, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Those are the... and. Those are the two things. The Holy Spirit is going to go with you and power is going to be attendant to your witness. That's good news, right? <laughs> We're not alone. We're not alone as we, as we bring witness to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I just begin to see this, that you see, God has people and situations ready for our witness. God had prepared Nineveh for Jonah's preaching. I mean, they responded immediately to the preaching of Jonah. In sackcloth and ashes, Jonah went and proclaimed after he came out of the belly of the whale. He said, destruction is coming 40 days upon this city. What did they do? They began to fast and pray. They repented, and they came to the Lord. There were results there. Why? Because God had ordained for Jonah to go there. In Zacchaeus' case in Luke chapter 19, how many know Zacchaeus had climbed a tree and was looking for Jesus? And I heard Derek Prince say one time, a sycamore tree is a tough tree to climb. He was curious. He was interested. His heart was ready, so to speak, right? And then Jesus came on the scene immediately. And he said, Zacchaeus, tonight I'm going to eat at your house. Notice he chose Zacchaeus and his house to eat at. Why? His heart was ready. His heart was ready. God had prepared his heart for that moment. And in that context of Luke chapter 19, we have some very important theology. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. How I many that's a major theme in his ministry? He came to the earth as the Savior, and he is still saving people today, and he wants to use us to witness to who he is and what he wants to do in people's lives. He's going after them, you see. And I feel like God wants us to, now, very often we're very willing to listen to a, a, something that challenges us to pray more or to read our Bibles more or to come up higher in our walk of holiness. But can we be challenged to have a heart of compassion, to connect with God in his heart for the lost? Challenge. 
I feel like God is challenging us to seek and to save that which is lost. That which is lost. And, and that is his heart. That's his heart. This is who God is. In the book of John chapter 5, the disciples went out to get some lunch, and Jesus said, I'm going to stay behind. And how many know the, who's the woman in, in John chapter 5? The woman at the well of Samaria, right? It's so interesting. This was a woman. Watch this now. This was a woman that was a woman. <laughs> I mean, men did not talk to women privately in this time period. This was a woman that had um, several different husbands. She was um, adulterous. Thanks, Dave. Um, this was a woman that was involved in a sinful lifestyle. This was a dysfunction. And, and this is who God sent Jesus to. The disciples didn't like that. It was foreign to them. God sent Jonah to Nineveh, right, to preach to Nineveh. Did you know that Jonah didn't want it? Even after he witnessed to them, he still didn't, was upset about it. That God was so interested in those sinners. Now, if you look at the history of, of this time period and the Assyrians and what they had done to Israel, the history tells the story as to why Jonah didn't want anything to do with the Ninevites. They had oppressed the Israelites. They had taken their things. They had abused them. They had brought them into captivity. They were cruel to the Israelites. So it makes sense that, that Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. But nonetheless, God wanted them saved. And God sent Jonah to someone very unlikely. Who, did, who was Zacchaeus? What sort of a man was he? He was a tax collector. And I just, in thinking about the, the story of the two sons, which son gave the father a harder time, would you think? Would you, in your estimation, who gave the father a more difficult time? Was it the old, but the younger one took most of what he owned and he went off and he embarrassed him. Do you know how embarrassing it was to this father for that young son to claim some of his inheritance and go? It was com he completely embarrassed his father in front of the entire community. And our sin is an embarrassment to the creator. But God still, with a heart of compassion, wants to call us back home. His heart, as Pastor Ned pointed out on Sunday morning, his heart, he ran out to meet him. He was seeking him out. He wanted him back home. This is the heart of the father. But what did the older brother say? This son of yours, who's been with harlots, who's squandered your inheritance, this is the religious older brother. This is the brother that grow, they went to church all his life. This is the religious brother. I, I'm not interested in souls. I go to church, I'm good, and I expect God to be good to me. This is a system of do good and get good. I'm not interested. I think it's interesting that the prodigal son, as we know him, was involved in sexual sin. Sexual sin is an, it's a, was an embarrassment. This man was with harlots. It's disgusting, Father. 
that the Father had compassion. And we can't let the sin that people get involved in, we can't turn up our noses. We have to have compassion for them. We have to love them. We have to seek them out. We have to compel them, as the Bible says, to come in. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we're ambassadors for Christ, pleading with the world to be reconciled unto God. This is a different posture than doing our thing, and if they come, they come. If they don't, they don't. It's different, and it's an, it, for me, it's an adjustment. God wants to give us a heart of compassion for the lost, to compel them to come in. The parable of the wedding feast, right? He said, I want you to go out into the highways and the byways, and I want you to compel them to come into my feast. And lots of people had different excuses. And he came back, and at first go, the results weren't great. But he said, why don't you go back out again? There are seats in my house. There's seats available for the wedding feast. I want you to go and I want you to compel them to come so that my house can be full. This is the heart of the Father. So, you know, I'm sharing my heart with you. And, I, and God put this on my heart, I believe. Again, an adjustment. Not evangelists, not missionaries, witnesses. So how, do we be a, how can we be a witness for Jesus? What does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? As I was just kind of studying a little bit, I was reminded of some things that I've learned. Several years ago, I would talk with uh, Pastor Christian Earborg every Sunday. And sometimes when he would talk, very often when he would talk, I would take notes. Well, I went rummaging in my office, and I, I found and I remembered that he had given me an exhortation about being a witness. So I want to give him credit as I share this with you because it's from him and not me. He talks about our witness as our testimony and current relationship with God. And then he encouraged me, and he told me to encourage others, to write down your story. Write down the long version, and then write down the short version. But both are short, if you know what I mean. You're not writing a, no, you're not writing a book about your life. But he said, get it on paper. And I want to challenge us to do that. I was listening to Brother Lance Walnow recently, and he talked about the, the power in the Apostle Paul's ministry and how he was able, through the Word of God and the power and the signs following, to bring people to Christ. But then he, he focused on the other arm of the ministry, you might say, and, and he talked about how a great deal of his ministry was involved in persuading men in the form of conversation. And are, how comfortable are we sharing our faith? How, who, who is, Jesus said in John chapter 5 with the woman at the well, the fields are white for harvest. Say, no, listen, brother, nobody don't want to hear this message. <laughs> but Jesus said, the fields are white and ripe for harvest. So that's his estimation of the world right now. 
Now, if we if we we got to adjust our thinking to His thinking, Amen. That's why we come to church to hear the Word of God to change our thinking to His thinking. Jesus says, "I'll say it one more time: the fields are white for harvest, and that He wants laborers in the field reaping the harvest." And this is one of the. Uh, this is what I, I believe. This is the greatest single thing that could bring us satisfaction energy, passion, and joy to our Christian walk. I pulled out a, a book um, recently from Brother Norville Hayes. Uh, I ordered this years ago. I read it. It's called The Ministry for Everyone. And in that book, uh, Norville makes a case for us as church people, and again, not evangelists, not missionaries, as the church to be witnesses, and to make efforts to bring others to Christ. And he says this. He says, the, the one reason many Christians lose their anointing and lose the power of God, they get involved in other things besides sharing Jesus Christ. Sometimes full gospel churches get caught up in activity, but there's no soul winning. He says, if that goes on for two or three years, he talks about the danger of, of being dry. He says, I'll guarantee you that if you'll make a practice to win souls for God, the sweet, tender compassion of the Lord will boil up out of your spirit like a spray of water, a well of water springing up out of your innermost being. It will be precious to you all the time. Your Christian walk can be precious to you every day. It will never get stale. I don't have any sad days or beaten down days. All my days with Jesus are precious. You know how normal talks, right? They're all supposed to be that way. But in order for that to happen to you, you have to give out what the Lord has given you. He goes on to say that, and this is normal talking, from time to time, you get up in the morning till you go to bed at night. It's either Jesus or nothing, <laughs> Either you have his love and compassion and his vision for the lost and dying, or you don't. Either you put him first, or you put yourself first. It's self first, then you're going to get all messed up. He goes on to talk about without vision, the people perish, and that the greatest thing we could ever achieve to be uh, in life is a soul winner. Proverbs declares that he who is wise wins souls. He then gives a little bit of a caution and a a preparation. He says, if you don't keep your spirit built up, you may go to heaven, but you won't take anybody with you. Without strong spirits within you, you'll just go to church on Sunday morning and maybe on Sunday evening, but you're not going to take anybody to heaven with you because you're not strong enough. You can't be a weakling and take folks to heaven with you. So he encourages us to be strong in spirit so that we have the spiritual strength to help people. Amen? He says, I don't give myself up and let myself get weak. I keep myself in the love of God, and I keep myself in God's holy presence so that I won't get weak and fall by the wayside. He says, you can't afford off days. You have to stay ready to witness to people. I, I would recommend that book. I just kind of went back to that recently. But I want to go back to that idea that God, as, as we... Um, live in a state of readiness. And I just feel like God wants to um, 
have the lost on our radar. Have it at, a, at the forefront of, uh, of our daily Christian lives, being a witness for him, being willing to share the love of Christ for him. Dr. Timothy Keller, before he passed several years ago, put together a series um, that I've gone back to a couple of times, and it's called A Public Faith, and he begins it with a question. Why a public faith? The faith that we believe was and is a public faith. It's not a private faith. The opposite would be a private faith. I mean, you know, the evangelical, uh, the word itself declares that we are a church that believes in the public nature of the message of Christ. Can we agree on that? Amen. Anyway, he, he offered one, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but he offered one very practical tip that I took with me and I'll share with you. And it's the word Transparency. And he said, in our daily lives, in our jobs, in our teams, in our schools, how transparent are we with people about who we are and what we believe? We don't work it up. We don't, we don't try. Uh, but we, we rest in God. We rest in the Father. And when the Holy Spirit opens the door to simply be honest about who we are, we walk through it. Amen? A couple of other practical tips that Brother Christer gave in terms of our witness, our experience, our life before we got saved and received Christ, our journey, the change that God wrought in our lives, and how we are in fellowship with God now. In 1 John, the Bible declares that the message of Christ has the ability to bring others into fellowship with God. Isn't that a miracle? That's an amazing thing. And you can look it up later. This is the message that we have received, John declares. And this message, we're bringing you this message so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is truly with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So when we share the message of the cross it has the ability to bring people into fellowship with God. Isn't that amazing? This is about love, by the way. This is about the heart of God. This isn't a compulsory thing where we're, we're, we're pushing and punching numbers. It's about the heart of the father. It's about the heart of a father who has lost children, who wants to bring them home and bring them back into fellowship with him. And he wants to use us to do it. We're the hands of the body. We are the body itself. We are his ability, so to speak, to bring salvation to people that don't know him. He uses us to do it. And again, he doesn't use evangelists and missionaries in the context of what I'm talking about. He's using us as witnesses daily. It's just an adjustment in our thinking we, that, that God would want to use us to be his witnesses on the earth. We give testimony of our heart, our appearance. And again, this is Brother Christer. This is not an argument to win. Although Paul sought to persuade, we must be prepared, these are Christer's words, to lose the argument and walk away and let God work. 
That's not easy. And again, this, I'm quoting him directly here now. Some of this was me, some of this was him. This is him. The Western sinner has a journey to complete. It's like a one to ten, one through ten. One might be the witness. Two might be an experience. We have to give people time. We might be the one, the witness. We might be the person that is there for the experience. But the point is that we see ourselves as agents and witnesses that have the ability to bring Christ to people. And we have to see it as a, I dare say, a responsibility, a a commandment from the heart of the Father. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and try to locate where people are at. Again, back to the idea of God setting up situations. Paul had a vision. He was planning on going one way, but he had a vision of a, of a man from Macedonia saying, please come and help us. <laughs> That's a setup from God, amen? You leave God, I mean, when, if we will adopt a posture of readiness, being willing to share, just be simply transparent about who we are. Be simply willing to share about what God's done in our life, about who Jesus is to us. God will set up, just to go back to that again, situations. God says, listen, I know you want to go over here, but by my spirit, I've got a setup over here in Macedonia. They're ready to hear the word. There's people that are ready. If we will simply pray and be willing and see ourselves as people that God can use. In Cornelius' case, I mean, again, another unlikely person. Here's a Gentile. But he was somebody that was praying. Praying and, and bringing alms to God, right? And Peter was praying, right? Peter was praying on the housetop. Cornelius was praying. In fact, both of them were fasting and praying. And God brought them together. God brought them together. So God had prepared Cornelius' heart and Notice now, it can't only happen through prayer and fasting. We can't just pray and fast for the world and say, please get saved. Peter had to leave the housetop. He had to go down and he had to tell Cornelius about Jesus. So it's both. But in the context of prayer and fasting, souls are saved. Right? It was another setup. It was another setup. Um, Be yourself. Back to Christer's exhortation. You have a fingerprint, an originality. While we're witnessing to others, the Father is witnessing to people. God's involved. It's not just us and our efforts. God, through us, is pulling on their hearts. Lost and found. At our school, I, it's a large bin. I work with middle schoolers. They leave things everywhere. The lost and found is, uh, we actually have shelves now. It's like you're going shopping. You, there's, there's a coffee mug section. There's a, um, a, a water bottle section. There's a hoodie section. There's a jacket section. No books. We've got lots of different categories in the lost and found. But there's a joy involved in returning something that was lost. And in the story of the prodigal son, 
this brought great joy in heaven. The Bible says, and a party erupts in heaven when one sinner comes home. God wants us to experience this joy through being witnesses for him. Amen. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. He is the ultimate witness. Thank you, Lord. He's the faithful witness. And then he truly came to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said freely you've been given. Now freely give. Help us, Lord, to step out in faith and to see ourselves as witnesses, Lord, for you. Help us to see ourselves, Lord, as witnesses that have been given the Holy Spirit, that have been given power to to be ourselves in you. Lord, to be transparent in you, to be honest about who we are and what we believe and what God's done in our lives. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that you're not a God that sets us up for failure, but that this is your will, Lord, and that as we obey you in faith, Father, that the fruit will come and that the harvest is truly white. Amen. Thank you for faith erupting in our hearts now, Father, for the joy of one sinner coming home to the Father in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.